Welcome to the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. This is the show that shares information and inspiration to help you break free from self-doubt, limiting beliefs, and disempowering patterns, and break through to create the thriving, successful business you dream of and deserve. I'm your host, Whitney Anderson. The show features interviews with entrepreneurs who've overcome amazing challenges to create success on their terms and experts who share insight and practical information that can help you break free from your blocks and move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity. The show is available in both video and audio formats in a variety of platforms, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, in the Google Play Store, on YouTube, and on my website at winnieanderson.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll share the show with others in your community, and I hope you'll decide to join my courageous community. You can do that by becoming a fan of the show on my site at winnieanderson.com fans. When you do, you'll get episodes delivered right to your inbox, along with information, tips, and resources to help you consistently move forward to reach your biggest goals. You'll discover how to position and pre-sell yourself as the unique solution provider you are so you can profit from your expertise while you build a business in alignment with your faith, beliefs, and values. You know, I started to feel the pull to go out on my own when I started to become unhappy with the types of sacrifices that I was making for my employer. Working seven days a week, working what I thought was too much travel, and having way too much stress. But I ended up leaving way before I was ready and I had no idea of what I was going to do or how I was going to get clients or let alone how much to charge. I ended up getting frustrated and frankly having to get a job within just a few months. The second time I went out on my own, I was forced out by injury sustained in a car accident. And I struggled for years trying to manage my recovery and get my business established. I waste time and I wasted money. I wish I had gotten the kind of information and had the kind of insight that today's guest had and has. Ed Gandia worked in corporate sales for more than eight years when he didn't like the direction of his career was going in either. He was facing the same things that I was, a lot of travel, and he knew that if he kept going all in on his career that he would end up living out of a suitcase. So he created a plan to escape by building a business on the side. Ed went from replacing his six-figure corporate job to being a well-paid freelance copywriter. He now coaches and mentors other writers to launch, build, and grow their businesses. No matter where you are on your entrepreneurial journey, Ed has some great tips and strategies that can help you get more clients and realize you're capable of much more than you think you are. So listen in as he shares the plan he laid out and what he called triggers that he needed to hit before he would feel confident enough to quit. How long it actually took him to leave compared to the plan he made, and I think it'll surprise you. The four things that helped him get his business off the ground when he came clean to his boss about his moonlighting, how he managed his time to fit his full-time job, his growing family, and side business all into his schedule, and his secret to manage looking for new clients with getting his existing client work done and keeping his day job. He also talks about how he decided what to charge when he first started out. And he, I got him to also reveal what he knows now that he wished that he knew when he started. So as always, listen all the way to the end where I'll share your cocktail exercise and action step for this episode. All right, Ed, let's, thanks a lot for coming. I'm so excited to have you here today. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So let's just dive right in. Um, I know you had a long career in corporate life, as, as so many of us do. Can you talk about what led you to even start to think about moonlighting and, and building a business? Yeah, there, there are a few factors at play, and um, there was no one factor that was stronger than the other necessarily. They, they just kind of all converged at one time. And it was right around 2002 when things began to move in this direction for me. So I'd been in corporate sales for a long time. Um, I guess at that point, 2002 had been eight years or so. 
And the thing about sales is it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's great when things are going well. But when uh, sales are down, you're not meeting your numbers or, um, or you're doing well, but then your employer keeps increasing the quotas, uh, it's very difficult to, uh, to remain motivated and to really love what you do. Uh, the other thing is that the, the better you do, the, um, the, the more responsibility you're given in terms of uh, travel. Um, they, a lot of companies will try to push you towards sales management, which is, has, has its own set of headaches. So I realized that I was caught in this cycle that uh, if I'd stayed and I was doing very well, so, so that was the other problem, the better you do, uh, the more problems you're going to have, uh, at least in the path that I was on. And that was going to include a lot more travel. Um, and, and I just didn't want to do that. Uh, late 2002, we had our first child and I realized based on the way I'm wired, because I'm so driven that if I went in that direction, I would never be home. Um, and I just saw several years ahead and I just didn't like what I saw. So that was one, that was a really big one. The other one was, um, I come from an entrepreneurial family. I have this drive, uh, this entrepreneurial drive. And I just, I knew I wanted to do my own thing, at least try it. And I think what really sparked it was the fact that my last employer was a startup and I had some stock options and it wasn't enough to retire. Uh, but it was enough that I knew if things went well, I would have some seed money to buy an existing business. That was my original idea. I'm going to buy something that's struggling and take it to a, to a different level. So that got me thinking and I set myself a goal within the next five years, I'm going to buy or start a business. And, um, the, the other one was that I, uh, for a few years I had been writing my own sales and marketing materials and I was just doing it because my employer just didn't have the resources or wouldn't give me the time of day and we were missing things. So I would write my own stuff and in order to get better at it, I would buy books and courses on how to do, I didn't even know it was called copywriting at the time. <laughs> And I loved it and I was, I was great at it, number one. Number two, it, it, it was so satisfying to do something on your own that was putting money in your pocket because it, it really was. So I think those three things, um, the, the travel, the, I, I could see five, ten years down the road and I didn't like what I saw, the entrepreneurial drive, and then finally the realization that maybe I don't have to buy or start a complex business. Maybe I can just do this thing for, for others. Yeah. Okay. So you started then with that kind of intention that at some point I'm going to be out on my own completely. Is that right? Absolutely. And I figured, you know what, if I don't do it now, uh, life is just going to get harder right. and more complex and I probably will never do it. So I, I felt this was the, the right time. Yeah. There's no, the, the only really good time to start a business is always yesterday, right? Because there's yeah. no really good time. Life always is happening and crap always comes up and you either do it or when you can or you don't. That's pretty much it. But Absolutely. I love your, your, your point about corporate life. I'm a human resources person as well as an agency, a marketing person. And the first third of my life was spent in human resources and we don't call it golden handcuffs for nothing. That, that there's yeah. a reason why that compensation strategy works and keeps people feeling like uh, it's, it's not right for me, I'm gonna stay here and, and it's all about promoting retention. I've never understood though why companies punish you for being good. Right. They take somebody who's outstanding and then put them in a position that they really aren't meant to excel at maybe or requires a different skill set going from delivering in sales to, to sales management. That's always been a puzzle to me. Yeah, I, I agree. It's been if you're doing so well, why would you take that person out of that role? Obviously, that's, you know, that's what they're great at doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you, you started this with the intention of going out completely on your own at some point. You, you know, I l know your story and it was about maybe two years or so before you were able to go out completely on your own. That seems fast to me. Can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe that's a story I tell myself. Can you talk a little bit about that, how you were able to make that transition from part-time to full-time on your own? Yeah, it was a little bit longer than two years, but it was it was less than three. Okay. Um, so it depends on when you start the clock. 
uh, early 2000, January 2003 is when I set that goal. Hey, I'm going to go out on my own in um, within five years. Okay. So uh, I started evaluating different options and um, I bought this copywriting course that was being sold and it was the American Writers and Artists, AWAI. It was being marketed as not only can you develop this skill, which is my main interest at the time, but this could be a business, you know, that you could do this for a living. So I, I was immediately hooked with this idea and I went through that material uh, over the next few months and it was around September October where I really started prospecting for clients 2003 um, and I didn't go solo uh, I didn't quit my day job my first day was June 1st 2006 so it was two and a half years or so um, it was fast and I tell people um, it I'm very upfront about it it took a ton of work a lot of sacrifice uh, it usually takes longer than that to get to a point where you can quit your day job, but it depends on a lot of factors. It depends your, your financial needs and you know, what you're trying to get to. Some people can quit a lot faster, uh, because they don't have to, I was earning a six figure income uh, as a sales professional and I was willing to cut that back, uh, earn more, but, or earn less, but I wasn't willing to make a huge sacrifice. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, um, definitely a very trying period, you know, just w- doing that desert walk uh, for yeah. a few years. So let's talk about the, the process then. So you, you got comfortable with, okay, this actually is a profession. It's a skill set called copywriting and I can learn it and I can perfect it. And you, you bought the course and you started studying it. I've taken the same course. It's a great course. So now, yeah. now you decide, okay, I'm, I'm feeling confident. I'm going to start prospecting. Do you, how did you begin that? Because I'm going to guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, you weren't going to let your employer know that you were moonlighting, or did you do that and let them know you were doing work on the side? How did that work? Yeah, I didn't let them know at first. I did later. I mean, okay. I'll, I'll, I can tell you more about that too, but uh, what I did is I, it had to be a test at first. I, I love yeah. the idea, and you know, honestly, I, I was sold on the fact that this is what I was going to do. Because again, I had already made that commitment um, that I was going to do something on my own, but it was still a test. I I wasn't willing to quit my day job. And by the way, anyone listening, strongly, strongly recommend if you don't have some kind of backup, whether it's a spouse or, you know, a day job, don't, don't do something drastic. Um, I see this all the time. People make a drastic decision and then they expect their new freelance business to provide right away. You got a mortgage to pay. You got financial obligations. Please, please, please limit your risk by doing this on the side or making sure that you got your bases covered. Amen. So um, I use my job really as a way to to, to finance this venture, right. and um, uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was certainly not not an easy thing. But it, at first, I, I really kept it to myself. And over time, what ended up happening, I remember when I was at around two to $3,000 a month consistently part-time, uh, which took a while, um, I had lunch with my boss. I said, I want to talk to you about something. And I took him out and we had a great relationship. Um, now, you got to keep in mind that the, the type of work that I did, I was, I was being evaluated quarterly. So if I slacked off, it would show. And I, I assured him, listen, my job is number one you have my word on that, my commitment, I'm doing this on the side, non-working hours. And I think this is where I want to go, but I'm not going to go anywhere anytime soon. And you know, you're going to get the best from me. Um, I'm going to act in an ethical manner here. And he was very cool, very supportive. Um, so yeah, I, I but, but I, I had, I wanted to make sure I was at a point where it, it made sense to, to have a conversation with him. Okay. That's great. That's great. So you got, where did your first few clients come from? Did they come from just companies that you reached out to on your own and kind of cold contacted or were, did you have some warm leads inside your, in your connections? How did that, how did that work? Yeah, it was challenging because I, I, because I didn't want to go out of my way to let my employer know, and I didn't want to run into them at a networking event or, so I had to be really, really careful. And in fact, most of the prospecting that I did was out of state. Okay. 
prospects out of state. I didn't want to, you know, get into any conflict of interest or anything like that. Um, At first, my strategy was actually what most people do is I'll write anything for anyone. I thought I'm going to cast a wide net. Yeah. That's the best thing. Everybody's a prospect and I got zero results. Um, I ended up getting one small client and it was just months after I, I started prospecting. Um, but, but so just to answer your question, there are a few things that I did that ended up working. Um, and a lot of it was just throwing spaghetti at the wall and many of these things didn't work. Um, I did a direct mail campaign um, and I spent a lot of time and money doing this. I sent like, I don't know, three, four, 500 letters nobody responded. Again, I'll write anything for anyone. So not very targeted, uh, not very convincing. But one company, and this ended up being my first paying client, they were a snack, a snacking company, a food company in the Northeast. And they actually wrote me back, emailed me back like two or three months after I sent the letter. And they said, uh, we need someone, we're launching some new products. We need someone to write some package copy. I had no, I had no idea what package copy was, but it was the copy on the back of the potato yep. chip bag. And um, I was thrilled. I said, sure, what, that, that sounds great. They didn't ask for samples. They just said, you know, are you interested? I said, absolutely. They said, we'll pay $200 per, per bag, per product. I said, that sounds wonderful. And uh, so I did one. They loved it. And they gave me like six or eight other ones over the wow. course of a couple of months. So that was, that made me feel fantastic. So I, I, that was really my first official paying client. Mm -hmm. Um, Around the same time I was doing some other things, I was tapping my network and this is something I strongly recommend people do. But, you know, as you know, Winnie, it's one of the hardest things, especially for introverted people to do. It's like, "Ah, I don't want to, I don't want to contact my friends and my, my colleagues. You know, I, I think the thing you got to tell yourself, and this is something this is a, a much bigger topic, but is you're not selling, um, I don't know, it's not multi-level marketing. It's not something that people don't want. You're selling a professional service and you need to think of yourself as someone who's got something extremely valuable that people need. So if, if you kind of shift your mindset around that, it starts becoming a little bit easier. So I tapped my network and I tell you, most people just had nothing for me or they didn't get it or they weren't that helpful or they said they'll keep me in mind if I hear of anybody. But um, when you tap your network, I want people to understand the biggest wins will come not just from the people you're contacting directly, but the people they refer you to. Okay. That's, that's a huge point. So don't think, well, I only know a few people or I don't know anybody or the people I know wouldn't be able to hire me. It's not about that contacting me anyway. Here's what happened to me. The biggest payoff was somebody my wife used to work with. Um, I reached out to her. She was, I didn't, I mean, I knew her, but she wasn't my direct contact. It was, she was my wife's contact. So we had a great conversation. We decided to take it to a lunch appointment a couple of weeks later, had a great lunch appointment. And at the end, she said, listen, I, I don't know of anyone right off the top of my head, but I love what you're doing. I think you would do great. I'm going to keep my eyes and ears open. If I hear of anything, I'll let you know. And I was fine with that. I thought it was great. A few weeks later, she reaches out to me and said, um, there was actually a couple of opportunities she came to me with, but one of them was I, you know, my good friend, Carrie is, uh, actually in marketing at the software company and she's leaving and she's doing most of the writing And she feels really bad. And she, we were talking and she said, man, if I could hook my employer up with, with Ed, I would feel a little bit better because then it would have somebody who can continue to write this stuff. So they introduced me and to this guy, the vice president of marketing had a meeting, had a phone call, had a meeting, walked away with two brochure projects. So this is my wife's contact. So it's second degree connection at this point, right? Then it's uh, Noel. Well, that was Noel. Then it's Carrie, which is her friend. Mm -hmm. So who I kind of knew. And then it's Scott, which is, so it's four degrees of separation. And uh, that client ended up being a seven year client, almost $200,000 in income from that client alone over that period from a friend of a friend of a friend. So tapping my network was another big one. Uh, strategic networking. Once I narrowed down from I'll write anything for anybody to I'll write for high tech companies. Right. Then I became involved in the Technology Association of Georgia. Okay. And 
that was, that's my people, you know, and they had a marketing uh, subgroup. So all about tech marketing. And I got involved, which is a, that's the best thing I did was to volunteer my time. Um, I joined their board and um, I helped plan events, which gave me the authority to now contact marketing directors and so forth to see if they wanted to be in a panel. Of course, they saw what I did. I mean, so you can right connect those dots from there. Right. Um, and I would say the, the, the final one was something I called warm email prospecting. So this is about a different type. It's like cold calling with email. Mm-hmm. but very personalized and relevant. It's not a broadcast. It's when you read it, Winnie, you know that this is written for you. Right. And it's an approach I had kind of been, was using informally a few years before in IT sales um, that I, and I brought it back and it started working like, like crazy here. So I'd, I'd say those four things, uh, direct mail, uh, tapping my network, uh, very strategic networking, getting involved in one organization and going deep, and then um, uh, warm email prospecting. That's that's outstanding, and, and that it's certainly doable. It's it makes sense. It's logical, and and anybody really can take those same steps and budget their time to make that happen. Uh, I I love the fact that it, it is that person who is going to be down the chain of connections typically, and I think that I think the average person wants to help you. You know, we're nice people. If you don't know nice people, I'm concerned for you. So, so we know mostly nice people, right? That's why we're connected to them. And most people, when you reach out and say, Hey, I'm look, I'm need some help and I'm looking for this. Great. More, my thinking is the more specific you can be, the easier you make it for them to refer you. You know, you probably only know, if you know any, one uh, neurologist, right? One brain surgeon. So somebody has a heart attack, you're sorry, but you're not going to say, hey, call my brain surgeon friend, because that's not what they do. But as soon as you hear somebody's got some kind of brain problem, you automatically think neurosurgeon. So, yeah, I think that that also speaks to, as you said, the more you can get uh, narrow in your focus and be specific, I think it makes it easier for people. That's really awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So let's then talk about the, as things grow, that's exciting, but at the same time, it's new problems, right? Because your family's growing as well as what you shared. So now you've got to manage this business and you've got to have a life, which is the whole point of what you're, you're doing this for. And we know that sacrifices, as you said, they have to happen just because of the nature of what you're doing. So can you talk about how you managed to navigate fulfilling and producing at work and then having some level of a life and building this business as well, knowing that, hey, I had to make some sacrifices? Yeah, it, I think a lot of it came from, it, maybe it was a little bit easier for me because I had been in a, in a sales environment for so long that um, it, it, I don't know, I think I became a grittier person. I became more, uh, more resilient, grittier, goal-driven. So in that way, I mean, it was, I'm not saying it was easy, but I think I was in an environment where you had to be those things and, and get better at them, right? So, so that, was, that was a huge part of it. Um, the other is that my, what I like to call my why, what was driving this was so strong that, um, I was able to overcome a lot of these sleepless nights or negative self-talk or, you know, what am I doing kind of things. And then when you had setbacks, yeah, you would, you would cry, but, um, you wouldn't go down in, you know, total depression. So I I think I had a lot to do with it. The, The other thing I would say is, Um, And this really, looking back, this really saved me, is is having a definite uh, window and and set of goals and and indicators that that would take the emotion Mm -hmm. out of of the process. So what do I mean by that? Well, um, I first set a big goal. I call it my BHAG, Big Hairy Audacious Goal, to quit Mm -hmm. my day job by a certain date. So I had kind of started with the end in mind. And I knew that, you know, this was doable. So from there, then I I kind of reverse engineered. I said, okay, well, what needs to happen in order for me to know that I'm on the right track or that I'm I'm ready? Um, Because I knew that I would be too emotionally caught up and that ended up happening anyway. Um, So I I identified three different things. 
and I'll start with the simplest one was at the time, um, healthcare was, you know, health insurance was a huge issue because you had to go as a self-employed professional in the U.S., Unfortunately, you have to go get your own, which means you have to go through underwriting and, you know, what if they find something or they said, no, we can't cover you. You're too big a risk. I needed to make sure the health insurance thing was taken care of. I wasn't willing to go without it. So that had to be a big check that it was a relatively affordable and I could get it. Number two was a savings goal. I had set a goal to set aside one year's worth of living expenses. That's pretty extreme, mm-hmm. but Keep in mind, young family, I've never done this before, very conservative, not income, living expenses. We were living fairly cheap. That really saved us. Um, Very low mortgage, low expenses, used cars. So that was awesome. Uh, It was still a big number, but not as big as, you know, it normally would have been. And then the third one, this one's huge. Um, so I, again, savings goal. I knew when I hit that, I'd be good there. The third one was what I called my trigger income goal. So here's the thing. When you're working this part-time, let's say you're earning $2,000 a month. Um, how do I know that if I quit my day job today, I would now have, of course, twice the time, let's say, um, that that would translate into 4,000 or $5,000 a month. Right. So I needed a number that when it translated into a full-time equivalent, would be my, would meet my needs. Okay. And what I decided for me, the multiplier was about two X. It depends. You need to kind of look at your numbers and figure out, well, I'm only working this much part-time and um, you know, I need this much. So maybe it's a three X for you, but for me, it was a two X. I knew when I started hitting about 4,000, $5,000 a month consistently, mm-hmm. then I knew that, Hey, I, I would be at, at six figures uh, if I had more time, if I, if I had, but didn't have my day job. So the trigger income goal is my third indicator. And, um, yeah, so then I start, I hit them all. And the interesting thing was, I still remember it was a, it was a Saturday morning, cloudy, rainy, and, and I was ready. In fact, I had set up an appointment with my boss on Monday, take him out to lunch to let him know, Hey, I'm done. Um, and, I told my wife, I said, I don't know, I don't know if I'm ready. I, am I really doing the right thing here? Um, but she woke me up. She said, you know, if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? Everything else that you've prepared for is set. Uh, you've hit all the triggers, all the goals. You know, why not try? What's the worst thing that can happen? It doesn't work and you get another job. Right. And I said, you know what? You're right. <laughs> so, but, but you need, you know, so you need, I think there's another component that we haven't talked about is you need that support from your family. Yep. You know? Yeah. I was just going to say that that's, that's really that unsaid thing because if you're in any kind of environment where, where those people are, are adding the pressure on you to produce instantaneously that emotional stress coupled with that stress to produce, it could very well backfire then and lead you to go, oh, I got to go get a job because this this did not work out in the way I wanted it to. So I love that she helped you stay focused on those triggers, those indicators, because then I think you were able to recognize this is just the voice of fear. It just yeah. shut up, and I can recognize it then because I really have done all of, I've done the logical stuff, right? Now the yeah. emotion is in there. Well, I'll, let me also add this just to kind of connect more dots there is when you think about it, this is very motivating. If you know that you're 80% of the way there toward your saving goal, then um, bringing in another client, even though you know now you have more pressure and you're going to have less time, you're going to have less of a life, you're seeing the progress. So if you don't have that as a goal, it's going to be very confusing and difficult for you to stay the course. Okay. So people say, how did you do it? You know what? It was, it was very hard. Two things. I knew what I was, I I saw myself getting closer in a very visual way. And that was massive. The other thing was that, um, you know, they say, if you need something done, give it to a busy person. Um, You, I was forced to become extremely productive. So none of this, like, ah, oh, let me, browse. thank goodness Facebook wasn't around. Uh, <laughs> let me browse this. Or I would turn everything off. I would set times, you know, Monday through Thursday, 8 yep. p.m. to 10 p.m. after my son was in bed. Uh, I would wake up super early, start at 5, from 5 to 7, so could put another hour or two in. And then Saturdays, I had a schedule, 6 a.m. till noon or 1, and then that's it. 
And, and if you add it up, that's a lot of time. So what did I give up? Thank goodness Netflix wasn't around either. I gave up <laughs> TV, the little bit I did watch. I gave up a lot of other things, but um, it gave me a system and a framework to yeah. follow yeah. instead of just being guided by my, my daily whims. Yeah. Yeah, that's spectacular. And I think that, you know, that I, I'm, I'm sure you probably talk about this with your clients as well. I talk about it with mine. It's that you, uh, there's a discomfort that happens as you start to make these changes. And it's the voice that goes, no, stay fat and happy on the sofa. Watch that another, another episode of whatever it is, right? So it, becoming comfortable with that discomfort of, of stretching for that next level of maximizing your time if effectively, that I think is one of the big secrets as well to making things really work for you. Yes. You, know, I, well, you mentioned support and support of, of your wife and that's, that's fantastic and that's so awesome. Did you have an additional avenue of support that got you through some of those, ay, 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 what did I get myself into with this particular client or this project? Did you have a, a support a support network of maybe fellow moonlighters or entrepreneurs or some somebody who, who helped uplift you when you really felt like, oh, I need an Oreo right now? Yeah, I did. I mean, you can't, I don't believe you can do this alone. I mean, yeah. is, um, is, is well position and prepared as I was for this kind of thing based on my line of work. I it just, it, without support, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So um, I worked with a couple of different coaches. Uh, one was on writing, one was on business development and, and just kind of repositioning myself and in growing my business, launching and growing it the right way. Okay. That was absolutely huge. Uh, the writing coach, fantastic. It really, more than anything, it just gave me the confidence that, that, you know, I was, I was good at this. Um, yeah. Not that he was just, it, was, it wasn't all positive affirmations. I mean, he was, he was really getting on me, but he taught me so much. Um, I also had just developed some relationships with some colleagues who, and most of them were long distance, but it's, it's great. We stayed in touch. We would just cheer each other up, ask each other questions. Um, so it wasn't so much accountability. It's just if I had something um, and, and I, I looked up too, by the way. So I, I, yeah most of these people were ahead of where I was and, and they were, they were happy to help. So yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things about this business is so isolating. The good news is there's so many more resources today. Back then it was really hard to connect with people. LinkedIn was nascent. There was no Facebook. Um, it was like, it was Yahoo groups, you know, uh, forums, Yahoo forums. Yep. Yep. Um, so now there are, there are a lot more resources, a lot more opportunities, but I strongly encourage people do that. The isolating factor in this business is just, uh, it's debilitating for many people. Yeah. Yeah. Amen on that. And I think if you've got that little voice, that is trying to holler at you that that isolation can, for some people, it can create this downward spiral of guess starting to really question yourself deeply and am I going the right path and maybe I'm really not, maybe I shouldn't. And you get in this crazy cycle of beating yourself up rather than staying productive and moving forward. So yeah, I agree. Having those, those especially the peers who can say, sister, brother, I know what you're going through. Keep going. It gets better. It's better on the other side. I promise. Keep going. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you, you talked about um, managing your time though and serving your clients and you talked about structuring your, uh, your time. The thing that I find that can be challenging is when you're fulfilling that the client work and you're maintaining the getting the client work, right? So it's that balance between marketing and fulfillment, marketing fulfillment. How did you manage to divide up those particular activities with the rest of your schedule? Did you follow some kind of, of system for that too? Or did you just market as best you could while you were in the fulfillment process? Well, it was as best I could. Looking okay. back though, I think what I maintained was something around a 10% um, minimum for marketing time. So, okay. And I like that because it adjusts based on how busy you are. So if you're book solid, I still say, look, whatever time, let's say I was putting in 20 hours a week into my business, right. about two hours or so should have been dedicated to marketing. And, and looking back, that's what ended up happening is when I was book solid, I would still spend, you know, an hour and a half, two hours a week uh, doing some, and some of it, I just didn't have any choice. Um, 
you know, it's just following up with, with some prospects, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I find that, uh, the, the mistake people make is they move straight into fulfillment and then zero on the uh, business development side. And I say, if you, if you keep, keep a minimum and it's percentage base, it's easier to make that decision yeah. um, and treat it like a client project. I, what I found was when I um, carved that time, I also, for me, it was important to say, okay, this time, you know, from whatever, 8 to 10 p.m. that Thursday night, I was going to work on this. Um, when, when you do that, it gets done because I was treating it like a client, like another client right. um, in a client project. But yeah, but it, it's too easy to just uh, ignore it. The problem is you get into a feast and famine cycle because okay. then the work is, is done and now you look at your pipeline and you don't have a, a pipeline. One quick tip though, um, because it can be awkward. The question that comes up is, okay, that makes sense. I can probably do that. But does it make sense to knock on doors if I don't even have time to even take them on for another three, four weeks? My suggestion is shift your focus to what I call lead nurturing. So instead of knocking on new doors saying, hey, I, I think I'd love to work with you, um, instead go back to prospects who weren't ready at the time Great. and send them something of value. So, hey, Winnie, uh, Ed Gandia here, we, a copywriter who connected with you a couple months ago. I came across this article about this research just came out on this topic. Here's a link. I thought you'd find it interesting, especially this stat. Hope everything's well, Ed. That kind of thing. You're not saying, hey, can I help you with anything? You're saying, hey, I thought of you when I read this. And then if they, and this happens, especially when your book's solid, this is great. You know, it's funny you contacted me. I could actually use your help with with this. Are you interested, available? You know what, Winnie? I'd love to. I'm book solid right now for another three weeks. What's your timing like? And something about, hey, I wasn't soliciting your business and I'm book solid that makes you even more attractive. So, Shift your focus, those two hours or whatever it's going to be, to staying in touch with longer-term prospects. Yeah, that's outstanding too. That That's a really super great tip. And I think it also can, for the person who really doesn't like going after those truly cold prospects, that it feels better and can build up more confidence so that as you approach those new people, you're feeling more in control and, and more specific about this is exactly what I can do to help you. And that can really build your strength, especially in those early days when this can be very new to you. So yeah, those yeah. are great, great tips. So um, one other thing uh, that I wanted to, to, two other things actually, one is that in my opinion, it's like the elephant in the room pricing right? We, we hate to do it. We know we have to do it. How do we do it? We agonize over it. We look for what are other people charging and there are lots of strategies for calculating what you're going to charge. And then, and then there's the theory. Do I send out, do I do spec work? Do I do things for free, whether it's coaching for free or consulting for free and build up to, to charging what is full ride, if you will. So what, what recommendations do you make? What did you learn about pricing and, and what can you share with, with those of us who are still dealing with trying to figure that out? I think one of the advantages that I had going into this business is that I didn't have all this baggage going into it. Now, I made a lot of mistakes, <laughs> okay? okay? Yeah. So, I'm, but, but one of the few things, ignorance is bliss. And I didn't come into it with, this, with these preconceived notions about pricing and, okay. you know, hourly or what it should be. I came into it from a totally different business. So to me, fixed pricing made a lot of sense. That's what I was used to. The thought of hourly never even crossed my mind. The thought of spec work never crossed my mind. And I'll address how I reduce risk here in a second. But um, so what I did was actually pretty straightforward. Um, I said, all right, forget it. I just want to know what are established writers charging, you know, can I get an idea? Can I get some ranges? So these types of projects and and a range for each. And there were a couple of people out there, actually more than that, but Bob Lai, Steve Sloan White, these are some big names in B2B copywriting. They were publishing their uh, fee schedules with ranges for each. I said, well, great. So that's my anchor. Um, So if they're charging, you know, between five and $7,000 for X, what I had to figure out is what am I going to charge? And what I decided to do is just to take off like 80%. Mm-hmm. If they're here, you know, I'm starting here. I'm going to re- keep those ranges, but I'm going to take 70 or 80% off yep. and start there. 
And I started there and believe it or not, even at 70, 80%, I was still charging more than others who had more experience, but I didn't know that. I just felt that that was fair. Um, so I just started with, okay, well, let's, let's start with the benchmarks. What are the, the top guys? And then let me just take a percentage of that. And I felt okay with that because unlike other businesses that I was in, that once you um, quote this number, you're locked in there for life. I started seeing that these are not going to be lifelong clients. Right. So these are stepping stones. I don't mind that if it's, you know, way too cheap um, because I know I'm using them to get experience and to get some samples right. and then I can move on. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of how I treated it. And um, I just kept with every new client. This is a, a huge thing. I cannot, I know this sounds scary, but um, when you do this, commit to raising your fees by a certain every percentage to every new client, <laughs> every right? Time, yep. They don't know what you charge. That's exactly. your opportunity. So um, yeah. I recommend 20%. Some people get really scared with that, but I think 20% when you're in the lower uh, brackets makes a lot of sense, but even mm -hmm. 10%. The yeah. percentage doesn't matter as much as the consistency. I agree. And feeling good. So, so maybe you know you want to get to you know, the Bob Bly level, right? So, well, what's it going to take skill-wise and then number-wise, right? So, you're just going to, I don't care if you raise a rate $5, do something, raise it every time and because you've got to feel good when you quote it, right? So, then get to that big percentage and before you know it, you're going you're gonna to deliver quality work and you're going to grow into that great price. So that uh, that's really great advice. So uh, Steve, uh, Ed, this has been really fantastic information and, and advice and I can't thank you enough for sharing it. I'm going to ask you one big question and that is knowing what you know now, is there is there something that you know now that you really wish you had known when you started out or maybe something that you would have done differently that, you know, that now you know? Um. Yes. Yes. There were a couple of things. I mean, there, there are a lot of things, yeah. you know, uh, with hindsight, I would have tried some other things, gone after some others, but I would say there are, there are a couple of big things. One is I would have gone after bigger clients sooner. Um, I, I don't think I'm unique in that I was scared to go after bigger names, bigger companies and so forth, because I thought, let me just stick with the startups and the small players because it's going to be easier to get in the door. But what I found looking back is that I wasted a lot of time with clients who just didn't get it. They didn't get the value. They understand what I brought to them. They didn't understand their responsibilities. You know, I wasn't there to save them. Uh, I was there filling in this particular gap. So had I gone higher up to better organizations, in a way I was kind of forced that way anyway through referrals and my network and so forth, I think it would have been easier for me. I just didn't feel I was prepared. But I, I think we underestimate how prepared we really are. So that was a big one. And I think the, um, the, the other one is something I've only really started doing in the last couple of years, which is uh, to bucketize, what I call bucketize my week. Mm -hmm. And it's something I learned from Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach. And, you know, what he talks about is like, it's, uh, divide your week into three different types of days. They are focus days and those are, that's client work, right. that's prospecting, marketing, and so forth. That's, that's like your main stuff. Then um, you have free days and free days are it's what they sound like, right? You're not going to work on those days. And then there's buffer days and buffer days is really preparing to have better focus days and better free days. So that's kind of the planning, learning, strategizing and so forth. And until I started doing that, I, I wish I would have done that earlier because what happened was when I finally made the transition, by the way, I was already I mean, overbooked. I was way too busy. I was working seven days a week, many weeks. And, um, and I, that's how I started my freelance business full time. I didn't have that honeymoon period where I could take like a week off to think about it and rejoice and celebrate. I went straight to, um, in fact, when, when I finally, I had lunch with my boss and it was really quick because I had to get back and I had projects and that to, when I resigned. So I wish I would have known that because it would have given me, it's so easy when you start to overbook yourself and the risk is you can, um, you can burn out very, very quickly. And I see it all the time when you finally hit your stride, um, you're excited. So that's what keeps you going, but then you start burning out. So, uh, that bucketizing the week thing has been just huge for me.
Okay, awesome. That's great, great information. And uh, thank you so much for your time. I know you're crazy busy. Why don't you let everybody know what's the best way that they can get in touch with you and, and learn more about what you do? Because it's more than just, you don't just write now, right? You, you provide support, coaching, training for other freelance B2B writers. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So most of, and I'm very transparent about this, most of what I do today, uh, this is, my business has morphed into something very different, not by design. It's just kind of took a different turn little by little, but I now spend most of my time training and coaching uh, writers at, at all levels, whether they're trying to launch their freelance business or they are already there and they're trying to get to a new level or they're truly really trying to multiply uh, their results quickly. Um, it's all business development. I don't teach writing. I only teach how to get more and better paying clients and how to earn more in less time. Um, B2Blauncher.com is, is my website and I got some great free resources there. Most of what I yes. offer is completely free. Uh, and in fact, right away, I got a couple of things that, that might be helpful. Um, it depends on where you are. So if you're brand new to freelancing, I got a checklist, a seven point checklist on how to get your business off the ground faster and more safely that you can download there. And if you already established, I got a great cheat sheet on three specific things you can do to grow your income very quickly. Uh, things that are fairly easy. These are quick wins, things you could start deploying right away that can make a, a huge difference in, uh, in your income. And I think just a, a personal two cents here. I think that warm email course is outstanding and I can, it certainly relates not just to freelance writers. It's anybody who really wants to reach out to their connections and leverage those connections to get the word out uh, about the, the work that they're doing and prospect in that way. So I certainly encourage you to check that out as well. But thanks again for, for being here, and I really appreciate all the great information you shared. Oh, thanks, Winnie. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks. All right, I hope you found that interesting and helpful. I have to tell you, when I first decided to launch this show, I made a list of gurus who I wanted to have on. And Ed was one of my top five, so I was super excited when he said yes. If you like this episode, please share it with your connections. Please leave a great review for it on the platform where you consumed it. And be sure to subscribe either on that specific platform like iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play. You can subscribe to the video version on my YouTube channel. But when you subscribe on my website, you'll get uh, episodes delivered right to your inbox every week, along with information, tips, and resources to help you come out of hiding, get your message out in a more powerful way, and achieve your business goals so you can profit from your expertise. You can do that by signing up at winnieanderson.com fans. All right, so your cocktail exercise. Otherwise known as a reflection exercise, no alcohol needs to be involved. Don't drink and drive. Don't overindulge. All right, so no matter where you are on your, the business development life cycle, the issue of making time to market your services while serving existing clients is always a challenge. I loved Ed's guideline of taking 10% of your time and dedicating it to marketing. So easy to, to work with. I want you to think about how you divide your schedule and are you putting time in where it really needs to be? What do you keep saying you're going to get done that you're really not? Are you dedicating enough time to getting clients and nurturing those past leads and connections that Ed talked about? All right, now your action step. Like most of these, this is technically more than one step, but I want you to take control of your schedule. There are eight strategic actions that we entrepreneurs need to take, and we need to take them nearly every day. Our time during each day and certainly each week needs to be well divided among these actions so we can grow our business and reach our goals. I'll recap those actions for you. So first is living, right? This has to be first. No matter how crazy busy you get, you've got to treat yourself nicely and you've got to spend time with your family, your friends, your loved ones, and be fully present no matter what you're doing, whether you're working or you're hanging out. Next is marketing. 
Getting clients is business job number one. If you're thinking you hate selling, I can tell you part of what you hate is marketing. But putting yourself and your message out there is critical. Otherwise, no clients, no business. And the world isn't impacted by your fabulousness. You're not able to achieve the mission that I know you have. Selling, number three, you've got to get clients. Now, I've talked on other episodes and on the after show, which I, I do as a Facebook Live on Wednesdays, I've talked on the after show about selling for service professionals who hate being salesy. So I won't go into big details here, but just remember that selling isn't icky, salesy, or pushy. That, that's not the style that you're going to adopt, of course. So you're not going to be like that, right? But sales is really just inviting somebody to take the next step. And if they say no, okay, they're not ready right then you just circle back and check in with them every now and then keep in touch with them but you know all right they're not ready and most of the time it's not a rejection of you or your offering it's a rejection of the opportunity that you're offering to them okay so next is fulfilling this is actually doing the clients work right it's what we love most to do now as you grow you may find that you don't do everything or you can't do everything and still have time for the other strategic actions so you're likely to need to get help at some point if not you're going to end up hitting a revenue ceiling that you're not going to be able to get past okay creating this is where you're producing content you're writing blog posts you're shooting videos creating courses writing books all that creative stuff managing these are the systems and processes and oversight you need to, to do and have as a business owner. They're important to make sure that we're maximizing our profitability and that things are running smoothly. Leading. This is standing out as the innovative thinker you are, leading your clients, leading your audience, and really leading your industry segment. Growing. This is developing as professional, both in mastering your professional expertise and, and mastering the skills that are needed to build and run a very profitable business. So your action step then is to examine your schedule and see what you're not spending enough time on. Which one of those eight strategic actions are you not spending enough time on? Or are you spending too much time in stuff that you know is easy for you, but it's also of helping you to avoid doing the stuff that maybe you don't really like that you need to do more of. And if you'd like to get a list of those strategic actions, then you want to head to my website at winnieanderson.com slash strategy map for information on how to get that and for the show notes and other resources for this episode. If you're an introverted solo professional or someone who has introverted leanings, and you're ready to get support to reach your business development goals as part of a community of like-minded and like personality to professionals, then head over to winnieanderson.com slash join the lab and join my Facebook group, the Courageous Entrepreneur Lab. Thanks for listening, and remember, you deserve all the success you dream of.